This is Student Activist Hub Radio, a conversation on local and national political issues and events. You can call us at 314-516-8438. That's 516-THE-U. And now your hosts, Adam and Kevin. Hello, this is Student Activist Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin, with my co-host, Adam. Hello, hello. Uh, we're here on a beautiful uh, Sunday afternoon, and we've got a, a good show. Uh, lots of events happened during this week. Um, I guess we spent a little bit of time last week talking about um, this right-wing sort of provocateur, James O'Keefe, who has some ties to the St. Louis area, and how he created a sensational and deceitful video that brought down the uh, NPR administration, and there's some updates on that story, so we wanted to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's some national stories that that happened in Wisconsin, Uh, the sort of hotly debated um, law that would strip um, worker public employees of their collective bargaining rights uh, was put on hold by a um, judge in Wisconsin because of possible legal improprieties that took place in enacting the law. And then also uh, the events in Libya um, that, of course, the president, uh, President Barack Obama, uh, just announced uh, the U.S. military actions uh, to establish a quote-unquote no-fly zone against the Libyan government there. And um, I know on Twitter there has been some activity about, you know, why, how this proves, um, you know, that Democrats were unprincipled in, in supporting the Iraq, in uh, opposing the Iraq war when Bush took place. And so um, we should spend some time talking about that and mm-hmm. the reaction. So, Adam, let's just jump right in. Just want to jump in. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, uh, maybe let's just keep going According to the order, you kind of laid stuff out. So, um, so, so I'm not sure exactly where we were at last week when we were talking about the the O'Keefe story. Um, but one of the sort of notable things that happened this week was they released um, NPR has a show called On the Media, um, and they did an interview of James O'Keefe um, that I thought uh, did a pretty good job. So uh, Howard Kurtz of CNN did an interview with O'Keefe um, about a week ago. And that I thought was just a disaster where he, I don't know, you have this tendency quite a bit, um, in the media to, to really dumb things down. And the problem is when they dumb things down, it plays right into the the talking points of some of these right wing people. So, so the easiest way to sort of dumb down the O'Keefe story is to just say, well, is it ethical to pretend to be someone that you're not when you're doing journalism, you know? And so, when you frame it that way, then it's really easy to turn around and say, um, oh, well, look, you know, Dateline does this kind of thing all the time. They pretend to be, um, you know, interested, you know, they pretend to be doing one thing in order to catch people breaking the law or that kind of thing, you know. So so it's really easy for the right wing to respond when the media dumbs stuff down to that level. And that's pretty much what Howard Kurtz did in his, in his interview. And he also, which was shocking to me, he's a CNN employee and he asked about, um, O'Keefe trying to lure uh, Abby Bordreau to um, a, he tried to ice he, you know part one of his quote unquote pranks was to try to lure a, a 
female CNN reporter to a boat full of sex toys um, and isolate her on that boat and claim and quote unquote seduce her. Um, you know, so so that was what O'Keefe called a prank, and most people thought that, that it was it was sick and wrong and disgusting. And and Kurtz asked about it, um, and he kind of just let O'Keefe get away with, you know, some dumb like response like, oh well, we just don't like the mainstream media, and we you know. We just want to show them we don't like them, and then Kurt's like, "Oh, okay, you know <laughs> that, that that explains why you why you tried to you know do this to one of uh, my fellow colleagues." And you know, I think just on the point of of what the what Kurt's focused on in the media in the on the in the in the on the media interview, they did this as well. The whole ethics of pretending to be somebody that you're not. I always thought that that was interesting. You know, whether or not that was you know. That's a good tactic is interesting, but I also think that the deceit of the video is important. That's where NPR did a really good job yeah. of saying, hey, you actually lied, and you know, which the media didn't really. And in NPR, you know, I thought that they could have, they sort of still allowed it to be a debate where, okay, O'Keefe lied, but they were asking him, did you lie at this section? And then he could respond. As yeah. opposed to just do, they didn't actually do. That was my one critique of the on the media. I guess we should get into it and explain it. But they NPR didn't actually do a, a series and say, you know, you know, spend you know maybe ten, five or ten minutes saying this video that O'Keefe produced about NPR was not factual and was wrong, you know, and discuss that and discuss how it was not factual and wrong. But instead, no. they allowed it to be a, sort of. Did you lie, James O'Keefe? Or and then he would respond and say, "No, I didn't." Or you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, right. So, I, I 100% agree with you. So, I mean, I was saying I don't like this the stupid way of framing yeah. the debate, which no, is, yeah, yeah. is it okay to dress up or pretend to be someone you're not? Which you know, like like you said, you know, it's a somewhat interesting question, but it's not really the heart of the critique of what's wrong with James O'Keefe. The heart of the critique critique of James O'Keefe is that he deliberately edits stuff in a way that's deceptive and falsely portrays what people said. So in the case of NPR, for example, Schiller was saying, I was talking to someone else and this person said the Tea Party is xenophobic, you know? And O'Keefe edits that to where it's Schiller saying the Tea Party is xenophobic, you know? And so it's basically, um, you know, it's editing the conversation in a way that, that, presents it completely false uh false impression of what the actual sentence was and and presents it in a way where the literal meaning is completely lost because they took out half of the half of the sentence so so to me that's the critique of o'keefe is that he is deliberately dishonest in multiple occasions and and that's what i liked about that npr on the media when they were asking him questions um they pretty much directly pointed out examples like this example they pointed out that o'keefe had falsely claimed that he was dressed up as a pimp um, in his acorn videos. And he falsely claimed that he had told them that he was a pimp. And they pointed out just a number of, you know, pretty direct, clear falsehoods of O'Keefe's um, story. Um, and O'Keefe, as Kevin mentioned, did, you know, try to come up with excuses, but I didn't find them very, very convincing. And I, I actually wrote on um, stlactivisthub.blogspot.com, I wrote about, what O'Keefe's sort of basic way of responding is to create the straw man ar ar argument that, oh, well, everyone has to edit a little bit, you know, like, 
you're saying that no one can edit anything and that every journalist always has to present the full unedited video of everything they do. Um, but that's not what anyone's saying. I mean, I think what people are saying is O'Keefe has a proven track record of being dishonest. Um, and he also um, is not accountable in ways that uh, mainstream media is accountable, right? Because yeah. if ABC News uh, lies, uh, intentionally lies about something and they get caught intentionally lying, they pay a pretty big price, you know, in terms of their credibility as an organization. But if James O'Keefe lies about something, nothing happens to him. You know, he yeah. still gets paid. He still <laughs> gets on Andrew Breitbart's websites. He has no uh, accountability in the way that mainstream media do. So, so there's a reason for expecting him to provide full videotapes and full unedited video and being skeptical of the things he presents because he has a track record, whereas he's just trying to present it as, oh, people are unfairly singling me out. But, you know, the reason they're singling him out is because he has a, a history of dishonesty. Well, and the other part, you know, and I Adam's post on stlactivisthub.blogspot.com is great. I would urge everyone to read it. Um, the other part about it that, you know, was striking to me is that a part of his argument is the mainstream media is untrustworthy. And so he's setting up a standard where, you know, he doesn't feel like it's okay to question him about his, you know, uh, deceit and even provide the raw video when, you know, he's, I mean, I think he's making a point that I don't necessarily dispute that the mainstream media, when they produce something, they don't give raw, you know, footage of their interview. They don't give raw, um, you know, transcripts of, of you know, an, a spoken interview that they had with a government official. You know, I think that that, you know, is a point that, that is good. And in many cases, the mainstream media, I mean, as with the Iraq war, um, you know, as with, with many things that we've discussed, they, they distort the reality of what actually goes on. I don't think they do it in the O'Keefe sort of, you know, intentional agenda fashion, but they do distort it. And so right. he's making, you know, that point I think is legitimate. But I think the point, you know, it, so the response would be, I want the media to release their material that they put out. If that's what you actually believe, that the media is, you know, being is distorting things, and I want the media to put out their raw footage. The response wouldn't be to say it's unfair for me to have to do that and it's unfair for me to have to be at this higher standard because the mainstream media doesn't do it. You're the, you know, O'Keefe is the one who's criticizing the mainstream media and saying, you know, in some ways making a legitimate point, but then he's very defensive when someone asks him about how he, you know, someone asks him and requires him to be at a, at a sort of a higher standard. And, you know, I think I, this could get into a, a, one of the, one of the things that I saw on, on the media did an interview with O'Keefe uh, that was, was, was pretty good. Um, then they had a separate segment where they interviewed uh, a, a um, fellow at the Pointer Institute, which is this institute that studies journalism. And, you know, I really felt like they should have interviewed uh, Adam uh, here because he's a, a better expert on the Tea Party and, and how it functions oh, wow, because he, well, you know, they had him on and basically, you know, this journal, this, this, this journalist at the Pointer Institute talked about how, you know, essentially played right into the, the sort of problem that we identified and, and played right into the, the you know, right-wing playbook when he said, 
O'Keefe is really effective. He has he's really won these scalps. This really shows the power. He specifically used the word power that O'Keefe has in this setting. And mm-hmm. I that must have really stroked O'Keefe's uh, James O'Keefe's ego to hear that he has power, to hear that this sort of a steward, you know, fellow at a media institute on NPR now says he has power, you know, over the 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 um mainstream media, but he didn't he really set aside the question of you know James O'Keefe and his dishonesty, and that that's being the main problem that he has. That that time and time again he's released a video that's gotten a lot of attention, and then if they and in fact the the host on NPR, I can't remember Barry, I can't remember his name Garfield, uh, ba- yeah Barry Garfield, uh, he came out and said, you know, if he actually said. If they had just waited a little bit, then would we, you know, I can't remember. He, he talked about Acorn. If they had just waited a little bit, would Acorn be in the situation that it was in? If they mm. had had waited for the full investigation, you know, would Acorn be in its situation? And he said, well, you know, the the, the Pointer Institute uh, fellow basically said, oh, well, that's I, I think that's a legitimate issue, but the media is really reacting to the story that's put out. We're really reacting to the fact that NPR fired its its executives. So you can't really blame us, you know, for um, coming. You can't really blame us for not following this story well and looking at the facts, you know. And the interesting, yeah, the interesting part is that the Blaze. We pointed out that the Blaze, this Glenn Beck, you know right-wing online newspaper, online, I guess, media, whatever it is, came out and did a pretty informative critique of of the video. And yet, you know, the mainstream media still, you know, some of them have addressed it, but I really don't think that they've gone through and looked at it and, you know, basically said, hey, in this situation, Schiller is vindicated. You know, nobody's come out and said that. Yeah, it's just, it's it's fascinating on so many levels because, I mean, I think... It's interesting what you say. I didn't see this um, Pointer Institute guy's critique, but it, but it's it's fascinating to me the way you describe it because, I mean, one of the things I've said is that I think, I don't know, I maybe I'm exaggerating to say people on the left, but certainly like me uh, and people and a lot of people I you know sort of pay attention to, and, and I'm guessing you too, Kevin, sort of evaluate these things in terms of truth, truth or falsity, and you know whether it's an honest presentation or not. But but I don't think I don't get the impression that people um, like O'Keefe or Breitbart, I just I don't think that's even their method of evaluating this stuff. They evaluate it in terms of power, you know, like in terms of what that Pointer Institute guy was saying. Like that's how they see the situation. So I think they would feel like if James O'Keefe's credibility is completely destroyed and he's uh, you know no one believes another thing he said, yet he destroyed Acorn in the process. They would see that as a great victory, you know, because they're interested in power um, and in winning this sort of ideological war against the left more than they're interested in being perceived as uh, sort of truthful people. Um, But another thing I wanted to mention going off what you were saying is um, uh, one of our friends, uh, Digby, uh, a former guest of the show, uh, she, you know, mentioned she has this thing called a Cokie's Law. Is that right? Yes, Cokie's, Cokie's Law. Cokie's Law. I was going to yes, great. Which is, maybe you can state it more precisely than me, but it's basically the idea that 
once something has been talked about a little bit, it sort of doesn't matter anymore whether it's true or false. It's just like it becomes a part of the of the ethos or I don't know what it is. It's sort of like it doesn't matter if it's true or false anymore, but once enough people talk about it, then you should just sort of assume it's true when you're talking on the news. You know, that's kind of how I interpret it at least. And you really see it at work so much in this O'Keefe story. Um, I mean, one of the ways you see it, so I wrote another blog post about uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch where they wrote about the O'Keefe scandal and they said, um, is what O'Keefe is doing ethical or not? Um, and this was late in the week. You know, it wasn't like early, like when Kurtz did his interview, it wasn't, it hadn't been revealed yet that O'Keefe had interviewed or had, uh, had uh, misleadingly edited the interview. Uh, but this was this post dispatch article came out late in the week, and they should you know they should have been up to date on the facts, but they weren't. They they asked this question: Is O'Keefe ethical? Without even pointing out that he misleadingly edited this NPR video, so they're like asking their readers, "Oh, do you think what O'Keefe does is ethical or not?" And they don't even point out that he, that O'Keefe is being deceptive. And I think you know I see this as kind of an example of Cokie's law, where you know once. Once the story gets out there, the media is just going to go off of it without even taking the time to sort of investigate or dig in or look at any of the details. They're just like, oh, well, everyone's saying um, that NPR said that blah, blah, blah was racist. So we're just going to treat this as a fact and ask the question, is it okay that the way that O'Keefe did this, you know? And I don't know. It's it's funny because I've been thinking about it a lot in the last week, and I really appreciate what, like, Media Matters for America does, you know, where they, they sort of debunk um, these right-wing myths, but at the same time, it's kind of, I, I almost feel like they're sticking their fingers in this dam, you know, while a big flood's coming, because no matter how many times they call out this media outlet or that out media outlet for doing, for getting the story wrong, there's some other moron somewhere who's going to write a story about what a hero uh, uh, Breitbart or O'Keefe is. Like, uh, GQ just wrote an interview about Breitbart, you know, like, oh, this... He's a renegade rebel right wing well, guy, you know. I know like, they love that too. <laughs> yeah, they love these things. And so it's like no matter how much you're trying to plug the holes in the dam, there's the media, they're just so sloppy and so they don't do the research that they're gonna keep there's gonna be someone out there who didn't bother to get the facts from Media Matters and they'll still keep presenting it as um oh, you know, NPR guy said this. And then they'll, someone will listen to that, and they'll keep saying it. So, yeah. so the right wing just has such an effective way of blasting out this false information that even when the truth comes out, it it's, never fully, yeah. it never fully fixes it. It never. There's always going to be people out there just still believing these falsehoods for. Well, and and I that Cokie's law, you know, has. I mean, in this case. NPR fired an executive who can get another job someplace else, and they embarrassed themselves, and they created a bad precedent. But for somebody who's not a part of NPR, the effect will be limited. But, you know, the right wing has done a similar thing, I think, with Social Security, you know, and you see it all over the place. But as Adam was, was speaking, I thought immediately of Social Security and how there's this notion that, oh, Social Security is in crisis, and the media has really not, you know, taken it on and said, well, what does that mean? You know, they have gone, I think Harry Reid, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, was asked by, asked a few months ago by David Gregory, you know, oh, what are you going to, he did, he's, David Gregory basically came out and said, 
oh, what are you going to do about fixing Social Security? And I think that Reed really caught him off guard by saying, well, there's not a problem with Social Security. You know, Gregory hadn't, didn't really have a response to that. It was sort of like, well, yes, there, you know, everybody's saying, I believe his response was, well, everyone's saying that there is, you know, oh, without, yeah. without sort of saying, well, here's what the facts are. And so even on an issue, you know, this issue is just such a clear-cut case. With Social Security, you know, it's more complicated, and there are, you know, you could sort of make a debate out of whether or not, hey, is there an issue problem with it? I believe that it's just so over-exaggerated, and there's really an attempt, you know, to, er, to eradicate and change the Social Security system, and people are taking advantage of the dynamics. But setting that aside, you know, this case is a, just an open-and-shut case of, bias of of a deceitful um video coming out and the media's bias you know towards just covering the story you know being evident it's not really what doesn't matter what the facts are mm-hmm. it matters the sensationalism of the story the fact that NPR i mean on in one level they have a point i mean the way the pointer institute guy put it was sort of oh well NPR they responded to the story it's sort of up to them I mean, his re- his response was it's sort of up to them to point out to us that O'Keefe lied, and that's been a big critique, a big problem with the political journalism mm. that I've noticed. You know, one of the, we there's sort of a constant critique from progressives that you can't, you know, covering what Democrats and Republicans say is a very inadequate and unhealthy way to cover the nation's politics, because Democrats and Republicans, you know don't have the same interest, you know, in many cases, they really don't have the same interest as the average American. I mean, they're, Mm -hmm. they're huge political parties. I believe, you know, there's huge differences between the parties. I'm not bringing out the Ralph Nader sort of, there's no difference. They're both corporately controlled, but they don't have the same interest as you, you know, you and me or the average citizen. They're thinking about winning an election. And so if, an issue of public interest comes up and neither of them really feel like this will help them win an election, then they won't talk about it. And then the media will not really give it as much attention as it deserves, you know, and in MP- that, that phenomena is sort of bleeding over these, or, or if something in the converse is true as well, if, if the Democrats feel like one issue can, can help them win an election and mm-hmm. the Republicans feel like, you know, or the Republicans feel like, it can too, but they are going to op- argue the opposite side. Then the media will cover the debate. They won't cover whether or not one side is lying. You know, they might put in, oh, by the way, like I believe that the New York Times had an article about Governor Chris Christie in New Jersey, and they said something like, Chris Christie talks straight or talks blunt, but not always straight, which was the way of saying Chris Christie lies when he talks. You know, and, you know, they covered the debate. Even when they point out that he lied, you know, they just covered the debate of it. And they mm-hmm. sort of added it, squeezed it in in the last part, you know, try, to try not to take sides in this, in this great debate between Chris Christie. I mean, that's just one example. But yeah. the media does this. And now we're seeing in NPR that that is sort of bleeding over, that, you know, maybe we'll live in a world that one day if somebody says something libelous or somebody says something wrong about an individual citizen, then you, it's up to you to respond to that and be media savvy and know who to contact and work the refs in order to get the true story out. You know, we're not, I don't think we're at that stage yet. I still think that the, 
beat reporters and that people who are doing sort of non-political work are, you know, still adhering to standards of journalism and actually doing, quote, work. I mean, it's funny how they describe what I think the job of a journalist is, which is to find facts, work, and that they really don't have to do that if NPR, you know, doesn't point out to them that somebody's lying. They, then mm-hmm. they're abdicated of, of their, quote, work. Oh, yeah. That's pretty interesting. Uh, well, I think we uh, will take a quick break, and we will be back shortly um, with more of the Activist Hub Radio Hour. MetroLink passes are available in the cashier's office at no additional charge for students that are being charged the facility, activity, and health fee. Why not take advantage of this great program? If you are riding it to school every day or just want to use it to go to an event downtown, get your Metro Pass today. This message was brought to you by the cashier's office. There was this man who almost learned to walk at a rehab center that almost got built by people who almost gave, almost gave. How good is almost giving? About as good as almost walking. As generous a nation as we are, Sometimes, instead of giving, we almost give. Don't almost give. Give. Visit our website at don'talmostgive.org. A message from the Ad Council. This is uh, Student Activist Radio, uh, and we are uh, here. I'm your host, Kevin, uh, with my co-host, Adam. And Adam, I I think there was more to say about the the Post-Dispatch. Oh, yeah. Well, I just wanted to, I mean, sort of jump off what you were saying about this idea that there should be an expectation of people to, to kind of defend themselves. And this isn't 100% related, but I just, I mean, one thing that the right-wing media has done a great job of is they're just really organized at, like, picking stories that they think fit their ideology and pushing them, um, but also um, just sort of projecting themselves as experts who get, you know, quoted on stuff and get their opinion out there and, and they get taken seriously and so you know you've mentioned that the press kind of used to treat the the situation as oh we should get a quote from democrats and we should get a quote from republicans and that's journalism and somehow the right has been really successful in changing that to we should get a quote from the democrats we should get a quote from the republicans and we should get a quote from the tea party you know and so um i mean and it's just kind of amazing we did we did talk about this last week but um they, the, the media is so bad at covering anything to the left or anything that represents a sort of progressive force outside of the Democratic Party. And we saw that, you know, most visibly um, a week ago from Friday when they, they completely ignored a 4,000-person rally um, in Keener Plaza. Um, but we saw that again this week where um, a group called More Missourians Organizing for Reform and Empowerment um, they did a protest at a local event, um, and they were protesting. They've been really active in town, protesting Bank of America's um, basically scam procedure on foreclosures. Where I mean, you see this again and again, where um, like Bank of America will tell people, "Oh, well, we think you might be eligible for reduced payments, and um, why don't you just go ahead and start uh, making these reduced payments?" And as they're making reduced payments, uh, that triggers the the foreclosure process because they're they're up, up below some threshold and so basically bank of america is like tricking people into losing their property you know and this is after they got bailed out you know to the tune of you know millions and billions of dollars uh by taxpayers so 
So anyways, this group more is protesting Bank of America, and they do this protest. And uh, Jake Wagman um, is at, I think he was at the event, or I, I don't know. Anyways, he was the guy in charge of the blog post, and he writes about it, and he just says, um, some protesters interrupted Jay Nixon, and they were protesting bank bailouts and foreclosures. That was like all he said about it. So if you're a reader of the Post-Dispatch and you read that, you're not going to have any idea like what the motivation for these protests is, why anyone did it, you know, what the point of it is. All you see is there was some protest and you know, some people interrupted the governor. And, and it's just mind-blowing to me because there's no way they would ever, like if the Tea Party did a protest, they would always make sure that, to say, oh, they're protesting against the pernicious influence of big government, you know, taking away, blah, 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 blah. You know, they'd go into detail. And, and like, when the left protests, they don't even feel like it's necessary to, like, explain why they're protesting. They just kind of gesture at it. So it just, it just sort of blows my mind that um, the media will not even take into account um, these sort of outside perspectives. Um, and on I, some of these issues. I mean, I guess one of the, the Tea Party has been affected at targeting the media. And doing these sort of stings and punking them and saying, oh, look, you're biased, you're biased, and working yeah. them on Twitter, you're biased, you're biased. And so the media is sort of, and that's just an ingrained, I mean, the liberal media, I, sometimes, I use that term sometimes just to mock it, mm-hmm. uh, but that's just like the air you breathe. I mean, I guess most <laughs> Americans just assume, hey, yeah, the media is liberal. And so it's just too hard for the media to, you know, it, it's really easy to say you're liberal. And I think... On NPR, I was mentioning this to Adam. I mean, I think that there probably are a lot of people within these mainstream news organizations that are sort of culturally liberal and, you know, I don't think economically, but at least culturally they agree with, and on, on you know, the, the minute political stories, is since they're right there, and as we've documented, in many cases it's kind of clear deceit on the part. It's not even us documenting. It's just... It's obvious that the evidence shows there's clear deceit on the part of, you know, O'Keefe or some conservative activist. If now you're setting up being a debate between one side or the other, yeah, some people in the media might have an opinion on that and say, yeah, I think this person is being deceitful. Uh, but I don't think it's, you know, I, I think that they try their best to be as fa- to be fair to, you know, a powerful to one side being represented and the other. If they set it up to be conservatives versus you know liberals, once they set that up, I think they try to be fair. Their problem usually is that they take one side out of the equation, usually that's the left, and they ignore it. You know, and so then that perspective just doesn't get covered at all. It's just Democrats and Republicans. Once mm-hmm. they set it up, I don't think I don't think that they're unfair to one political party or the other. The political parties are too powerful and reach have right. huge media operations and really say this is the issues that they care about you know and really spend a lot of time cultivating context within the media and if there was any you know if they felt like you're being unfair just the whole when i was watching rachel maddow deal with you know politifact they have very established channels to d- determine if they if they've been unfair or not and they they work through it, and you can keep going back and forth with them, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you are. So, I think that critique is just way off base that that the the right has established, and that's just now ingrained, like the air you breathe, that the media just doesn't like Republicans because they are all liberals or something like that. Right. So and you know. uh, 
And an example, I mean, I had mentioned this already, but the example of our, quote, liberal media in St. Louis was um, they, uh, they didn't cover the, uh, the rally, the union rally, because uh, they had to get, they needed more reporters covering the, uh, getting a local perspective on the tsunami, which I agree the tsunami is an important story, um, but uh, it, that uh, explanation does not make sense when you consider it in light of the fact that um, a couple weeks earlier, people had complained about the Post-Dispatch not covering the protests in Wisconsin, and their response was, oh, we're a local paper. We don't cover things like that. Um, so anyways, I thought that might well, be a transition to... That is a good transition uh, to Wisconsin. I agree. And the other thing about Post-Dispatch is they had a dog story about who uh, did it... Uh, Biden? No. No, no. Uh, not Blunt. Was it Blunt, Senator Blunt? Oh, yeah. Blunt. Roy Blunt has a dog. Yeah, and it was—it's actually like a long, an old story. It wasn't yeah. even current, but but yeah. they that was featured on their website, and they also yeah. covered Claire McCaskill having a plane too. So, I mean, I guess I'm not sure why the tsunami bud didn't bump those two stories, but somehow it did. Right. <laughs> but it, I guess we should move towards yes, Wisconsin, which you know uh, the I, once again this is sort of an instance of not really understanding the reality of what's going on. I mean, if I were not following uh, the hashtag WI Union on Twitter, which you should follow, uh, which you should keep yeah. track of. But, That's my favorite hashtag yeah, ever yeah. of following anything on Twitter. I, I love that. But, um, and, and also just reading uh, progressive blogs and reading uh, progressive outlets in Wisconsin and Democracy Now! and all of these other groups, you really wouldn't have a sense of what's going on in Wisconsin. I, you know, of course, just to set it up, a judge in Dane County uh, declared, put the uh, collective bargaining stripping law uh, that um, Governor Walker and the Republicans in the state legislator in Wisconsin passed on hold and said, this law cannot go into effect until I... Uh, you know, rule uh, on it, issued an injunction on it being published. Now, you know, I listened to a post. I, I listened to NPR's political podcast um, with Ron Elving, uh, who was there, and, and their co-host, they had a, they had a guest co-host uh, who um, they had a discussion, and they, were, they sort of talked about Wisconsin before the judge issued the, made the day before the judge issued her ruling, and they basically just gave the the obit for the, you know, just what happened, the the, the autopsy, I guess, for what happened. Oh, it's over. Yeah, it's over. You know, and who won? Let's move on to, to the real significant part. Who won? Yeah. Well, of course, according to NPR's Ron Elving, Scott Walker, you know, uh, was the one who who won because. In a very cynical reading of politics, it's just so cynical. They said uh, because the they took away the ability of the public sector unions to collect dues from their members, and now they can't donate to Democrats. And so, in the long run, the Democrats lost a big political supporter, and Scott Walker bigfooted them. And so, therefore, even if public opinion says this is going, they don't like it, even if there's a recall against the state, they said, yeah, the Republicans may lose the state Senate, but they'll never repeal. The, De the Democrats may gain the state Senate, but the, they will never repeal the, this collective bargaining law, and it's in permanently. Hmm. And so then the day, next day, the law is put on hold. And it just sort of shows, do some, you know, do some journalism. What's going on? I mean, there yeah. was... This assemblyman Baca, 
the leader of the, the Democratic Assembly who, at that conference committee, came out and said, this law is unconstitutional because it violates the Public Records Act. And then there's a whole other controversy of whether or not it's a financial bill or is it a financial bill. Right. And so there's lots of controversies going on, and the media is not really giving them attention. Uh, the other thing, you know, we should, and the reason w- this case is important because I think it'll probably end up going up to a higher court, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and right. Wisconsin elects its court justice, the Supreme Court. Yeah, no, strange. Strange, at least though you can't say liberal ju- judiciary, unelected, like the conservatives like to say, because okay. they vote on it. Right. Um, and so... Um, there is an election, and there's a candidate, David Posser or Poser, or I can't remember his name, uh, but he's he's the incumbent. He's a Republican. He's a, making no bones about it that he's a conservative as well and that he supports Scott Walker. He was on a right-wing network and said, yeah, I'm important because I'm a conservative. And so um, there is a, a vote on April 5th or April 3rd, early April, on whether or not he should be voted out. And... You know, I think that this this we should I guess we can talk a little bit about some of the things he said, but this is important and, and this is an well, opportunity to really you know, I would love to just prove Ron Elving wrong and just <laughs> say, Look, your your analysis was just way off base, you know, because people were involved and active. And the courts themselves, not only if this election goes through, the courts themselves can strike down the law and then the recall you know, then have a recall for the Senate, right. and the Senate just just changes hands, and so they can't do anything about it. Right. Um, yeah. So the guy is David uh, Prosser Jr. David Prosser. Okay. And he is running against Joanne um, Kloppenberg. Kloppenberg. I guess. Okay. And uh, I, one thing I don't think you mentioned is that this election is also extremely crucial because I think right now the Wisconsin Supreme Court is four three. Um, Republicans uh, holding it. And so if uh, Kloppenberg wins on April 5th, then it would be 4-3 Democrats. And, you know, if anyone remembers... uh, Bush v. Gore. Yeah, Bush v. Gore (laughs) in 2000. uh, Unfortunately, sometimes these things uh, uh, can make a difference uh, in how how the cases are decided. So so that would be pretty interesting. Um, Do you know if they can... um, I mean, can they vote again on the same law before the courts rule on it? Like, could they just could they just run it through now, like actually following the twenty four hour rule, um, or did, would they have to wait um, until uh, until like the the courts would rule on this other ruling? Or I'm not sure. I I'm actually not sure. The response from Scott Fitzgerald, who's the Senate. A Republican leader mm-hmm. in the majority um, was basically that this ruling was an aberration, and then when it gets to higher courts, this, and here's a liberal judge, blah blah blah, that usual <laughs> stuff, and uh, <laughs> it, when it gets to higher courts, it will be, um, you know, they will rule a different way, and so, you know, that's that is playing itself out. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Um, you know, I mean, they definitely show no scruples about being totally inconsistent. You know, how they at first were saying that this law was a financial law, you know, and that it really dealt with the budget repair. And then they stripped it from the budget bill and had it a standalone bill and claimed that it had no financial 
uh, obligation so that then they could get the quorum. So I could easily, right now they're saying, oh, there's no violation of the Public Records Act uh, because we gave, the Democrats fled the state Senate and we gave them ample amount of time to debate. And so they could easily turn around and say, well, let's just pass. And, you know, I could I could see them coming up with the, the justification for doing that. Mm. Whether or not it would be legal to do that, I'm not sure. You mm. know, I, I, it's already I guess the the problem is they haven't they passed the law, but it hasn't been enacted yet. And so, you know, they have to go through. I, I guess I guess it would be a little difficult to to just say, well, we'll just pass the law again when it's there's already one on the books that's doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, it would be strange uh for sure. And I you know, part of me wonders if the Republicans maybe I said this last week, but I, I wonder if it was just sort of a way of saving face. Like maybe yeah. they even knew that passing the law wouldn't um wasn't going to be legal, but they figured it would be better that way cuz the one thing you can't do if you're a Republican is ever like back down yeah. and show weakness, you know. So they can still you know, kind of strut around and thump themselves on the chest or whatever. Yeah. Um, even yeah. if it turns out that they they did, that the law is ultimately going to be going to be um, ruled illegal um, by the courts, whether it's for this issue or whether the the fiscal issue. Which yeah. you know, I looked at that, and to me, it seems like a fiscal bill yeah. because it it changes how much employees pay into um, the retirement yeah. system, from what I can tell. So, so I don't see why they wouldn't need. Um, a quorum, a quorum on yeah. that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about uh, Wisconsin is that it sounds like the uh, the recall efforts um, where Democrats are trying to run recall elections against the eight um, Republican senators, it sounds like they're going extremely well and that a lot of the Republicans are, are pretty vulnerable to uh, to challenges where, you know, uh, I think, you know, Kevin mentioned this in previous shows, but if three... Republican senators get defeated in the recall elections, then the control of the Senate would go back to Democrats. And I think polls have shown like six of them, or I don't know, like a lot, a lot of the, the Republican senators are in pretty serious jeopardy. Yeah. And they represent districts that Obama carried by a huge margin. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I guess the swing, one of the daily coasts or swing state project had the data and it was like, there was one district where Obama won. I mean, there was a few where he won like 60% of the vote, but there was one where he won 80%. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, really it's just a matter of getting Democrats to the polls in some of these races and saying, please, you know, please vote for this particular candidate because they probably shouldn't have even been in office anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the, I think there is a senator uh, who's did you, there's a story of the senator whose wife signed oh, that the, was great yeah. the one of the recall petitions i don't remember his name i believe that was the one where obama really carried the day and and really won that district by a huge margin uh so you know that that, that was great that was really good news um yep. yeah so um i w- i was going to mention just one quick update from what we talked about last week is um, the Missouri Senate did debate right to work for less um, on Monday, and it got tabled, and yeah. they said that they weren't going to talk about it again um, until after the legislative spring break. So so it seems like it didn't get anywhere. Um, I know there were a lot of people there, um, citizens who were opposing right to work for less, and there were also um, s- uh, several senators who had promised to filibuster. So. It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, but we'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Um, I'm going to take a quick break now. 
um, but we uh, we just saw Beloved um, walk into the studio, so uh, I wanted to make sure to give a plug um, before we take a break to uh, to stay tuned afterwards to listen to Beloved and uh, Kama Sutra, um, and um, so we will be right back after this break. This is Student Activists Hub Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin, with my co-host, Adam. And uh, we were, we've been talking about Wisconsin. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the media and James O'Keefe. And now I think we should move on to the, another story that's in the media, which is Libya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Obama, President Obama uh, made the decision, uh, well, he is... I guess to to get set, make sure that the background is is framed, uh, the United Nations passed a Security Council resolution uh, that authorized um, a no-fly zone against Libyan uh, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi and uh, uh, his government, which is sort of currently in in a civil war and and taking fairly brutal uh, actions against um, you know the uh, rebels, the people who are protesting his regime, his 43-year government. And now the United States, uh, with a coalition of nations, is uh, instituting a a quote-unquote no-fly zone. I think my my feeling is that the term is, um, you know, a little bit of a euphemism, but I guess we should get into the the debate. Um, Yeah, so. Yeah, well, I mean, a little bit, I mean, so they're instituting a no-fly zone, and they're you know they're doing airstrikes on um, ground targets, right, of Gaddafi's forces, like airplanes and anti-aircraft yes. stuff, and that those kinds of things. So they're so they're using military force um, against Gaddafi's forces, and um, I personally, and I know a lot of other, uh, well, maybe, uh, and then the left generally, <laughs> I guess, have been uh, criticized on Twitter uh, by some of Kevin and my friends. Um, which, by the way, Kevin has a new Twitter account, which we'll make sure to tell you about before the show's <laughs> over. Um, but w- I've been getting criticized for um, the supposed inconsistency of being opposed to the Iraq War um, and not um, necessarily speaking out against what's happening in Libya. And so I think Kevin and I uh, maybe disagree on this, but but I think well, I think we might disagree on whether it's right or not um, what Obama has been doing. Yeah. But I think we we probably agree that it's not necessarily inconsistent yeah. to think that the two situations are different, um, and so I I just wanted to say a little bit about why I think that they're not they're not the same, and and I mean it's true that if if you're someone who has a, a pacifist position, you know you're opposed to war in all cases, um, then you know I guess you could be accused of of uh, being inconsistent on this. I've never been a pacifist. I supported. Uh, when the United States originally attacked Afghanistan after the 9-11 attacks, I thought that that was okay. Um, but the reason I thought um, attacking Iraq was so bad um, was basically because I felt at the time that we were being lied to about the rationale for going to war. Um, you know, I saw Colin Powell's presentation, and I felt like it was very unconvincing. I thought the stuff that Bush and Rumsfeld said was unconvincing. And I just felt like they were pushing and they were in a big rush to to go to war without ever um, providing any real justification to the American people. So so one reason I was opposed to it is I felt like it was deceitful. Um, another reason, I mean, this is more kind of hindsight, but another th- reason I uh, really didn't like it is because I felt like going to war might have resulted in more people 
suffering than if we had not gone to war, you know. So, I mean, and that's kind of my, really my guiding principle. So, if you compare that to Libya, um, I mean, it may be the case that um, people are sort of using propaganda to try to rile up, you know, people to support uh, the military actions against uh, Libya. But I don't think it's at all the same type of situation where um, in Iraq, I felt like it was really a manufactured case for why we should attack, why we should send in ground troops. Whereas in the case of Libya, to me, it seems like, you know, I think the American people, people who've been paying attention to the news have a, basically the right idea of what's going on there. Namely that there were people who were trying to protest and Gaddafi, um, really struck back against them quite brutally and used military weapons and fighter jets to fire on civilian populations. Uh, so, so I feel like in this case, you know, the American public is informed and they're making a rational decision. Whereas the case with Bush, they, I mean, he basically deceived the public in order to make his case for why we should go to war. And, um, so, so that's one huge difference. And then really, for me, the big difference is I feel like in intervening uh, with Gaddafi, I feel like that's ultimately going to re result in less people suffering, or at least I think it's likely that it's going to result in less people suffering than if we had just continued to allow him to to use his military weapons against what I think is, is a majority of his population who no longer wants him in power. So that's sort of my well, position. you know, I think I definitely... The, the Twitter, just just anecdotally on Twitter, I've seen that I haven't really weighed. I think I, someone did accuse me of being of not, why didn't I go to a Code Pink rally or something <laughs> like that. Uh -huh. uh, but um, other than that, uh, I've just observed a uh, few people calling out the so-called left about not being consistent and right. so on. Um, and... You know, I think that there are definitely are a lot of people who um, haven't really made up their minds yet. Uh, I, well, I'll just, my skepticism is uh, rooted in Glenn Greenwald in, in large part, and he came. Should have known. <laughs> yeah, he uh, wrote, a, he wrote a, a good post where, first of all, he looked at the debate and, and the way the debate is being framed. Uh, you know, the humanitarian aspect is sort of, pushed and i think that you know of course what's going on and what we see on television uh and in the media is a, a pretty brutal attack uh launched by gaddafi um against his own people and he doesn't really make bones about that of course blogging heads bobbleheads uh translation was funny they okay. they uh said that um we should continue airstrikes until television viewers vote uh vote that Qaddafi is not being brutal. Something about television viewers vote otherwise uh, <laughs> to try to make the point that, that we're going to war based on what we see on, on television. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing yeah. that Glenn uh, pointed out is that the government is trying to say by we're doing this no-fly zone that we're not actually going to war against Qaddafi. There's this sort of, oh, well, it's a no-fly zone. Bill, uh, Bill, uh, Robert Gates came out and said, yes, that would be an act of war. Um, but now, you know, that Hil I guess Hillary Clinton came out against military attack. They're trying to cloak it. And, well, this is the enforcing a U.N. no-fly zone. We're not going to send ground troops. We're only attacking in a very Obama likes the President Obama likes the term surgical uh, manner uh, against against our troops. And, 
you know, one of the things that Glenn has pointed out is that, well, in order to go to war, you need congressional authorization, and Congress hasn't yeah. authorized. Of course, some of the Republicans are coming out and saying, oh, well, Obama should come to Congress to authorize. And that's kind of hypocritical because Bush uh, conducted many, many conflicts. Not, I mean, the Iraq war did receive congressional approval, but right. Bush conducted many conflicts and, of course, claimed that he could attack Iran without congressional authorization if they just used these, quote, surgical strikes. And so the, the lack of congressional authorization was a point that Glenn raised. And then the other point is just the hypocritical nature of the attacks and sort of, you know, for me, this is, was the most important. The United States has country, countries that we ally with that are brutally oppressive and oppress their populations and we don't launch attacks against those countries. And so if the justification is that we need to stop brutality, it sets, you know, to me it sets a pretty high bar for the United States to be involved in the affairs of every country uh, that is, or at least every country that we give economic and military aid to, every country that we have favorable trade relations with, because in some way we would be responsible for propping up that government. So, for instance, Saudi Arabia, uh, just keeping within the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, which we have a big naval base. I believe Admiral Mike Mullen, who's the Joint Chief of Staff, was asked, well, you know, in Bahrain, uh, they um, there's some things going on in the studio, but in Bahrain uh, they uh, had a uh, attack where 40 civilians were killed. Why are the, why isn't the U.S. taking an aggressive posture in, in that case? And he said, well, we have military interest and we have uh, a naval um, base there that we like to use. And so I think that, you know, it's kind of, in, you know, my, I guess my problem is that we're being inconsistent. And I don't think the, the goal, I think that Gaddafi, you know, we don't like that government and he's not a U.S. supporter. And so... That's an excuse to attack him. You know, the, the fact that he's using uh, brutal um, tactics against his own people is now an excuse to remove the government. I mean, I think I think those are all good points. Although I would say, I mean, I think it's true. I think you could say that um, there are other countries that uh, are very similar to the way Libya was three months ago. Um, and you might say that there are other countries that if their civilian population um, had these uprising, they would, they would react just as brutally as Gaddafi. But I, I do think there is a really crucial difference um, in the fact that, I mean, in Libya, I, I, I feel like the people really have spoken. And if you look at the, what, the way that the majority of people have, they took to the streets and they pretty successfully staged some some big protests and that's essentially what provoked um Gaddafi to to be so brutal you know what what happens if now you have these airstrikes and yet Gaddafi is still in control they don't really you know where, where the assumption is that you know if we just attack Gaddafi by air then he that will leave him but you know if he's still in control then I think we're going to have a bigger commitment and you know it'll turn out to be sort of a, you know, not the, not the prettiest of, of military situations, and we might have to, you know, uh, get more involved militarily. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that the administration has good judgment 
although you know Glenn Greenwald tends to be a canary in the in the coal mine on these issues, and if he's <laughs> out there saying this is bad, then you know months later everybody then realizes this is bad, you know, and so I, I kind of I, and that's that's you know the, one of the big reasons that I'm I'm skeptical, but you know hopefully it turns out pretty pretty good. Um, I guess we're uh, beloveds in the studio, um, getting ready, and so we are. It's time for us to uh, sign off. Oh yeah, and uh, but I did want to put in a little plug before we get on is that oh. um, you can always follow us uh, on Twitter at STL Activist Hub. Um, on Twitter, but also Kevin has a new um, Twitter handle, which is activist uh, underscore. I is think that, so. Yeah, activist underscore radio, just the, the line underneath. Uh, and so that's my Twitter handle. <laughs> now, now, Kevin, you know I love you all so much that <laughs> there is never, ever a rush. Right? It's called Smooth Sunday, so you can just take your time and I'll just metally just blend right in <laughs> besides the information you all give is very pertinent the things you all discuss there's no other show like this i mean we can hear sports from a thousand things but this perspective and point of view is vital and people need to listen to it so why would i say hurry up <laughs> thanks so much Plus, you know i love you all too you're so darn cute <laughs> it's a voice of beloved uh <laughs> reaching <laughs> reaching the ears of, of our listenership <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna start plugging you on on my Twitter account too. Oh, so, okay. You know. What now? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, beloved Love Below, and that's spelled L U V Below. Okay. So it's Beloved L U V Below. Beloved at, at Twitter. That's a lot yeah. of characters. You know, You've not very many left after you get your name out there. Hey, well, you know, it's just <laughs> Beloved the Love Below. <laughs> just trying to do my thing. We'll let you all wrap up in a great show. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. So we don't want to rush. We're we're not in a rush. We just want to make sure everything runs smoothly. So, uh, yeah. But uh, we can sign off here. Um, I'm uh, your host, Kevin, uh, with my co-host Adam. Yep. And make sure to check us out on stlactivisthub.blogspot.com, as well as iTunes, as well as our Twitter handles aforementioned. And uh, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>